Welcome to the Your Message Received podcast. And now, taking your message to the finish line, your host, John Duffin. Hey folks, John Duffin here with Duffin Media. Welcome back to another episode of Your Message Received. Your Message Received is the home, the place, the platform to help you find your best, most true, authentic business voice. Hell, make it your own best, true voice. Get what you want, find what you need, improve your results, and hell, maybe meet the person of your dreams, make billions of dollars. We're still working on guaranteeing those last two points, but the fact is, hell, um, maybe today's guest will make that happen for us. So longevity expert, business leader, and, and, and as I got to meet a really good guy last summer in Hopper de Grace, Maryland. Greg Schindler, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much. I don't know about those last two bullets either, but we can, we're can. we certainly working on giving us more time to accomplish those last two bullets. Yeah, maybe an extra week or two. We're just going to like tighten up a couple of details around this ship in Philadelphia, PA. But um, <laughs> Greg is sure. part of what I would call a crazy cool consortium, because I don't know a better word, uh, of people that I know um, that are all part of the uh, umbrella of friend, colleague, runner, crazy person, Charlie Engel, who I love to death. And so we've had Charlie on the show. I've had some of Charlie's cohorts, professionals, colleagues, and the reason, well, Charlie matters for a lot of reasons, but one of them is he's a health nut. And I say that in the most kind sort of way. And thanks to the great good fortune of me just showing up in 2022 to a event at the Ashley Addiction Centers in Maryland. There's this overnight race. Uh, well, overnight for some, not for me. But I was going to say, Charlie. I showed up and I got to meet Charlie. I got to meet some friends, some of the other people that have already been on the show. Hillary Phelps, Sean McMillan, Kelly Thrush. And last year, I meet Doc Greg, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're. That, that I'm thrilled that we connected. Um, your attitude's incredible to me. Uh, what got you to show up last year for the race, the run? Sorry, probably the same thing that got everybody else, which is Charlie. Yeah. Um, you know, he told me about it. Um, that this is a cause that's near and dear to me. Uh, you know, I'm mm -hmm. six years sober. Mm -hmm. I'm very open about that. Mm -hmm. Um seeing Charlie do his thing is always a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I think this year he moved for 31 hours. Correct. Was it? Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, you know, I think there was a lot of hours in the middle of the night. He was out mm -hmm. there solo with a pot, you know, like a audio book in his ear. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of people that showed up and did a lot of hours and miles out there with him, yeah. you know, just not all 31, like he did, uh, 31 hours. But no, it was Charlie. He he told me about it. He said, I want you to come up and support mm -hmm. it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's a dear friend uh, mm -hmm. to me. And in fact, you know, Charlie and I have been all over the world together, whether it was speaking or, you know, talking mm -hmm. about longevity or just um, doing hard things or mm -hmm. adversity to impact or whatever it may be. So that's how I got there. It, it was just great to see you. So I believe if I remember correctly, uh, we were, I'd say we were part of the later crew because yeah. you were still there. And I was like, I, I'm this God almighty. Don't you hate podcasts where the person just talks about themselves? Um, so I ain't going to do that. And I impressed no one there, but it was long enough, man. Hey, and you and, logged some miles. I saw you. I was yeah, out. It there. was like 31 miles. And so over the course of a couple of days, that was all that mattered. To a me. lot of miles. <laughs> yeah. Not in any way impressively. And we'll, and the cold plunge too, um, that was there, as they say, which was, I don't know, chilling. Um, but what was it now? I know what drew you to there. What got you connected with Charlie? So a good friend of ours um, knew, knew, you know, Charlie and myself. And he said, Hey, you two need to meet. Um, just trust me. And I said, sure. I'll, you know, I'll talk to anybody. So he put us on a phone call. And the first time I ever spoke mm -hmm. to Charlie was on the phone for, and we spent about two and a half hours mm -hmm. and which, you know, Charlie is pretty, you know, it's pretty easy to do. He's a really mm -hmm. easy guy to talk to and he's very yep. likable and we just started talking and it was mm -hmm. one of those conversations where you 
by the end of the the second hour, I felt like I had known this person my whole life for for 20 years you know i had um, a, a deeper connection and a more meaningful conversation and the kinds of conversations i thrive on having mm -hmm. with charlie um then i'd had with guys that i had known 20 years you know um and so they hooked us up and then we started talking and then um got together and sat down and you know he said tell me more about this longevity thing and i mm -hmm. said tell me more about all these crazy things that you do <laughs> and um, I read Running Man. I the minute we hung up, I bought a copy of that and read that. And um, you know, later do I find out he said, Man, I would have sent you one for free. And I was like, Well, now you tell me. <laughs> but you know, I, I still need to get it autographed. Um, it's so funny. We've been all over these places together right? for the last several years, and I still don't have an autographed copy. But um I, I think somebody needs to work on this. Uh, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that was um that was it. A friend hooked us up and then we've been joined at the hip ever since. So as you had said, and I would share back, I happen to be sober too, which is what got me there. Um, when I first, I knew Charlie because he spoke at a real estate related event and it was during COVID and, and, and it was a Zoom call. And I remember that and he was putting out certain keywords and words that I was hearing almost like a dog whistle. You know, and I'm like, ooh, that's an interesting choice of terms. That's an, you know, funny. And and that's where the relationship started. Uh, from there, you say you were sober six years. Way to go, man. Um, Thank you. As I said again, I, I I get the gift of I get the gift of sobriety again today too, which is just a nice thing. Every um, day. What for you? Like I said again, what had you make that choice to become sober? I think like, so I had, um, I had been sober before, mm -hmm. you know, I'd long, I'd known that, that alcohol was a problem for me for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, you know, and I, I had a four year, uh, stretch of sobriety from 08 to 12. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, just did some more research as the, as we say, and, um, you know, John, I woke up that day, I think like a lot of people who, who kind of come to that decision, mm -hmm. uh, or that point in their life where I just said, not today, I, I, I cannot live like this anymore. And I literally woke up one day, looked in the mirror and said, not today. Mm -hmm. Um, the hurricane Ike. Oh, okay. Is what had been, had been right. coming through. Mm -hmm. No, Harvey, Harvey, sorry. Yeah. Harvey, um, had come through Houston and soaked it gave us a mm -hmm. good bath um for four or five days mm -hmm. flooded out the whole city and um i stayed i stayed pretty pretty drunk through a lot of that mm -hmm. and um woke up and thought you know boy i was a big liability um to to my family to to my friends and neighbors anybody who would have needed me to help support mm -hmm. during that um and literally on that monday i i woke up and said not today and and that was it uh, i'd never i haven't had another drink since that's very impressive, man. That's very mm -hmm. impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, folks, this guy, like I said, again, um, has done a ton of things. All right. So I already warned Greg. I don't know how to say this word properly, but considering fact, but I'm going to take a shot at it now. You uh, got this. All right. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Um, who has been a long-term leader in cellular medicine and longevity. How's that, brother? Um, Perfect. <laughs> When they used to call mobile phones cellular phones, I would need to be in the store a really long period of time just to get the word out. So I'm really glad we got to handle this now. What got you interested in uh, longevity? So it was uh, it was an interesting path. I had, as an entrepreneur, I'd had a medical distributorship where we sold um, products to doctors. And I had reps scattered around a handful of states um, selling to 300, 350 doctors, different, mm -hmm. different products. And I was looking to expand the portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went to a conference that was on biologics, specifically something called exosomes. And I didn't know much about it. Well, hell, I didn't know anything about it Yeah. but I was super intrigued. And afterwards, um, I went up to the guy that was one of the, the panelists, if you will. And I introduced myself and I said, listen, I don't know. I don't understand a lot about what you guys were talking about. Mm -hmm. But I do think it would be fascinating for our industry, my business, and maybe a product we could add. We have a lot of doctors that we currently sell things to. Can I call you? And he said, yes, anytime. And he said, I love teaching this stuff to people. And I said, I hope you mean it because I'm that guy. I will call you. 
So I did. And over nine or so months, six to nine months, he really gave me an education and I understood this. And I started Googling it from the, from the standpoint of a business owner, like what kind of Kager does this have? You know, what, what does this look like? You know, three to five years from now, what kind of runway do we need? Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved it. It had double digit Kager. It had, you know, this whole regenerative medicine space and it was Mm -hmm. early. And so I, I started cobbling together this portfolio of biologics um, to sell to doctors. And it, we, we got out there and started knocking on doors and it was an abysmal failure. It was a catastrophic <laughs> failure. Right. And uh, several things that, you know, we, I, I was a little too old to be making this rookie mistake, but I did. Um, I assumed mm-hmm. that they had, they understood what I was talking about. Doctors don't learn this in med school. Mm-hmm. They don't understand biologics and and how to apply them with patients and moreover how to sell them and and learn to do it because they go to med school to learn to diagnose and treat symptoms Mm -hmm. um and they do that typically with pharmaceutical targets and so coming in with things that are addressing root cause that are sort of you know helping you get better not just feel better um is a little outside um and certainly in the in the cellular world Mm -hmm. um, cellular medicine world Not most of them didn't really understand it, but they would just sort of nod. And, and I thought, man, why is this not working? Mm-hmm. So out of sheer frustration, we opened up our own clinics and in Oklahoma, we started in Oklahoma and then moved into Texas and partnered with doctors and started running the business. And we blew it up. We were doing mostly orthopedics. Okay. The pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. We tread water for four months and then realized we didn't, nobody knows how long this thing's going to last. Mm-hmm. Let's shut this down. And during that time, you have a lot of time to, to sort of be introspective, work on your business instead of in your business. Um, and I started having these conversations around longevity. And this was, and I know the science pretty well um, on, on cellular medicine. And this was some concepts that I had not really heard before. And it was fascinating and intriguing. And I thought, wow, if we can get further upstream of these orthopedic issues that we're dealing with, this may even prevent them or at least delay them from happening um, altogether. And that's how I got my toe in the water of longevity um, when it came to cellular medicine. And then, you know, there was a lot of things, John, and if I get a little long-winded, you want to jump in here and cut me off by all means, um, please do so. But it really helps to put things into context for, for listeners who are thinking about long, cause longevity is, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Marvin Minsky used to say, is he coined this term called a suitcase word. Right. Which is just, it's this big topic word, like artificial intelligence was a suitcase is a suitcase word. Right. It just means so much. Right. And longevity to me is the same way. It's an economy. It's an industry. It's a science. It's a movement. Um, There's just all these different things. But the way I look at longevity is living healthier, longer. Mm -hmm. And it means slowing the functional decline of this living organism. And we decline and our cognitive abilities, our musculoskeletal systems, our immune function, our vascular function, our sexual wellness, and aesthetics. Those are the big systems. Yep. And if we can slow or reverse the functional decline of those systems down, then we have a chance at possibly pushing this period of time part out, right? Because without slowing the functional decline, the, part, the time doesn't matter. Nobody's signing up for 10 or 20 more years if, you know. Oh, bad. Yeah, bad. Nobody's doing that. So... <laughs> When I started looking at longevity, I started really focusing on this idea that it really meant living better, longer, and whatever that looks like. If we could, maybe when you don't even extend the time, but those last eight to 10 years or 12 years are better. Um, you know, where, you know, the number one fear of people of, of the elderly population right. is loss of independence. Oh, right. And that it is, it's loss of independence. It means like, you know, someone showing up to take the car keys away, having to go live in a nursing or a, an assisted living facility. My mom's um, 94 and she calls it the home. I don't want to be sent to the home. Um, it's the number one fear or somebody having to, come. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, that loss of independence. And, and right. when we start to lose our independence, you know, you, you can't remember why you went into the kitchen. Um, you, you know, you leave the stove on or, you know, you're just, you're, you have the cognitive or the neurocognitive de- right. decline that just comes along with the aging process. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the collateral damage. Um, the same thing with musculoskeletal and mobility, you know, if you, and listen, this is, I'm, um, this is, you know, tip number one. Mm-hmm. Um, when we become sedentary, we become inflammation making factories. Right. And that's why we see people who are up and moving at 87 and they're walking around the park Mm -hmm. with a friend or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. 
we have to keep moving to maintain our mobility, to keep systemic inflammation down. Um, the minute we stop, my grandmother's this way. She was a librarian at the high school for 40 years. She retired. Right. She went home. She sat down mm -hmm. and her health just fell off a cliff because she mm -hmm. stopped moving. She stopped thinking. She stopped, you know, interacting and, and everything else. So it's a huge piece of the longevity puzzle. Um, but that's how I got started is I started really looking at, you know, mobility was the only thing that I was really focused on, mm -hmm. but there was all of this other possibility in the world of cellular medicine. Um, and it took, you know, some, some, some scientific and some physician and entrepreneurial minds to kind of put it all together um, and then start to really come up with a plan where we, we could actually achieve measurable results to mitigate the, the, you know, collateral damage of the aging process. A couple of questions on that, by the way, which is first off, uh, when you're starting to build this and you're starting to realize this, I am intentionally taking a significant step backwards first, which is this. Uh, this was not the way that you expressed this met with complete acceptance and exuberance and what have you. Um, and on the show, we're all about authenticity and we're all about resilience. So where do you think that resilience came from? And you've shared some things with me in regards to growing up um, and anything you choose to share, great. But to me, it's building the foundation to get to a point to keep going. And that was my first thought is, I know people weren't receiving this, um, well, including the medical community. Why do you think you have the foundation of resilience? Yeah. So you know, first you're right. Um, it's still very nascent, very early in this, this whole longevity right. game. And later when we, I'll answer this question. And then when we, we go back, I'll kind of put the, just remind me to set this context of this, this framework, because there's been major milestones that are only about 10 or 12 years old, and that's yeah. not very long, right? right? In healthcare or in anything, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure I frame that well and, and deliver the promise, but let's go back and answer this yeah. question. <sighs> okay, big sigh. Um, so you and I've spoken a little bit, oh. and you know a little bit about you know sort of my story. So, yeah. um, resilience and adversity are are you know um, not new to me. I've I learned them at an early age. Um, I grew I grew up in South Houston, south of Houston, Texas, about 25, 30 minutes south of downtown, in what I would call blue collar poor America poor. Um, you know, little little starter homes, 1200 square foot starter homes where the mm -hmm. floor plan was, was reversed every other home. You know, your, your friend's living room was to the right, your living room was to the left, but it was the exact same floor plan. Um, just flipped, but it was, look, we didn't know any better. And, and, um, my parents were, were from East Texas and had moved to the big city to try to make a better life. And, uh, you know, along I come and, um, my mom was, was, you know, beautiful, uh, um, she was, uh, petite and hardworking and just, you know, just, just, you know, would work three jobs if she had to. Um, and my dad was a, a troubled guy, you know, he was the kind of, um, alcoholic that you, they make movies about. Um, he, uh, he was, he was pretty unpredictable. And so my mom did, you know, the best she could with trying to keep whatever stability in our home that she could, but, um, it was, it was. It was pretty, um, it was pretty chaotic from time to time. Um, took a lot of rides home in police cars and, you know, did a lot of coloring on a bar stool. He would pick me up after kindergarten and first grade and stuff. And it was that kind of existence. And he was a little league baseball coach and he would get, um, ejected for showing up to the games drunk. And it was just, you know, my dad was the town drunk was, there's, you know, another way to say it. And, um, that went on for a long time. And then around 12, um, one evening I was playing out in the street and he came in and I saw his truck pull in the driveway and kind of stumbled out, obviously inebriated. And that wasn't unusual, but just something tugged at me that night. And, um, he went inside the house and, and a few minutes later I told my buddies, I said, Hey, look, let me, let me go check on my mom. I'll be back. And so I did. And, um, when I went in, I could hear from the back bedroom, I could hear her pleading with him to let her go. And, 
I ran back there and I turned the corner and, you know, my dad was, was pretty tall. He was about six, two, maybe. Okay. And my mom was pretty short and he had her, you know, against the wall with his hand on her throat and, and she was pleading with him and, and crying. And I asked him, please let her go. And, and, um, second time I asked, he did, but what he did next was, was interesting. He pushed past me and he just sort of stared through me and, and he went into the closet. And as I was looking into the closet to see what he was doing, I felt my hand just being pulled and my mom was dragging me out of there down the hall and towards the front door. And before we could make it, he caught up to us and, um, he, had a 12 gauge in his hand is what he'd been looking for in the closet. And he dragged us out onto the front porch and, and took us down to the end of the porch and, and put us on our knees and held the gun on us. And uh, my mom had gone catatonic and um, I was begging him to, you know, not to kill us, please don't, don't kill us. And the neighbors started trying to plead with him across the street, telling him, you know, please put the gun down. And, and, he would turn and point it at them. And, and one of these times that he did somehow, some way I grabbed my mom, came off the porch, shoved her between the homes over the little chain link fence at the neighbor's yard and ran in this, the back of the house. And I started screaming, Harry's, you know, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. Call the police. Um, my dad, before the police could get there, got in his truck and drove away. And, um, later, that day or the following morning took his own life, um, with that, that same gun. So that's how the first 12 years of my life mm. unfolded. Right. Mm. And you know, it's my story. There's a lot of, look, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of adversity out there. People go through far worse. And then there's a lot of people would, you know, trade places with me tomorrow, but we all have our stories and, and, you know, everything sort of defines you and, and, and it can start to own you and inform you, um, and I would say that it did. And that's when I started escaping, you know, back then, John, we didn't know about therapy, you know, we, and if oh. we did, we couldn't have afforded it, you know? And right. I remember the first time I ever went and talked to a professional, mm -hmm. uh, he said, it's almost criminal that you weren't in therapy, you know, after all of that. And I said, look, we, it was no fault of my mom's or something. We, we didn't know. Wasn't an option. You know, we just didn't. And it wasn't an option. We couldn't afford wasn't an therapy. Option. No. Hell, you know, we were living on chicken pot pies and, 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 you know, <laughs> I mean, it was TV dinners, story. TV the, dinners, the, baby, the chicken pot pies, none of the rest of it's making me smile. And no, offense, no, no, I'm not knocking chicken pot pies. No, and, I remember them too, man. I'm just uh, like, right? but, you know, when that's all you had, it was, uh, you know, it was fine. It was, variety, it was, oh, you know? I'm sorry. I'll say it better. It was dinner. It was okay. dinner. dinner. It was dinner. Right. So how, you, how did you do you because you tell the story so clearly, it's not as if you blanked out, blacked out, you know, wish you probably part of you wish you had. But because it's so clear, do you remember back then you're 12 years old, right? How do you carry on or you just, or do you just do? You know, I honestly have to give a lot of that credit, I think, to my mom. Okay. Uh, she's really really strong um and her her instinct to protect you know her young was really strong and i think i stayed um you know pretty shielded from a lot of it it was look he, you know he he wasn't a great guy so hearing that he was no longer with us that he was dead um i i wasn't i wasn't super upset you know at, at the time right in the yeah, moment yeah, yeah just because it was kind of a relief kind of you know kind of a sigh because it had, you know things had gotten pretty bad and um so i think that's part of it and then my mom remarried um and my and he adopted me um gave me his last name and was just you know the greatest they it was such a blessing. He was such a, such a second chance at a role model and a father. I 
Ah, sorry. So he, um, so my mom remarries and, and he's successful entrepreneur and he's a real estate developer and he's, he's was a college baseball player and just a all around incredible human. Um, and you know, we started going to church and we just, you know, just had this normal life. Um, and he was, he had been a successful real estate developer. And, and, and so we got to do things. I got to go do things like snow skiing and, um, you know, hunting and just sort of, you know, things that you get to do that I'd never had access to before. And it was wonderful. Um, they had this, you know, incredible marriage. He and I, he became my best friend. Mm. Um, we were together a lot. And then he started, his health started declining. He, it was, it was interesting because he had gotten lung cancer. He beat lung cancer um, with no chemo or anything when I was a senior in high school. Um, and, he, you know, he, it was healthy. He worked out, he watched what he ate. He, you know, did all the right things. He didn't smoke. He wasn't a drinker. He may have a, a beer or something on vacation, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an alcoholic. Um, and he started he he had a he had three stents put in his his heart and his health declined he had something called sundowners coming out of the surgery which is when older people um have a surgery and they wake up in the um the recovery room there's no windows there's no clocks there's no time if they don't they get really disoriented yeah and he had that really bad and it took a few months for him to really kind of come out of that but his health had mm -hmm. had declined um significantly and we talked a lot about it and and um he was a guy that if he couldn't compete and he couldn't go hard at, you know, at the highest level, um, he was a real, he's a deeply religious man, a deeply faithful man. Mm -hmm. Um, always believed that would be a better place. And so on October 7th of 2010, um, I was driving in my car and, um, I got a phone call from my mom and she was, wailing into the phone mm. and um i it's hard to make out what she was saying but i was able to kind of make out that that my he was dead mm. and um that morning he'd gotten up and he put index cards these five by seven index cards around the apartment saying water this plant twice a week and this one three times a week and he'd gone and washed up her car and filled it full of gas and went to the grocery store and stocked up everything in the pantry for her, for her. And, um, then he left to go to work like he did every day. Um, except this day he put one final index card in the mail slot. It lived in a high rise and, um, it said, I'm across the street and unit number. And he gave the unit number. Don't come alone. And she found the index card and that's when she called me and I was in Dallas and I had to board a flight, a Southwest flight mm. from Dallas to Houston and try, <laughs> oh, it was so tough. I was trying to keep it together mm. and thank God for the grace of, of really kind humans. There were people mm. next to me that could tell that I was, something was, you know, I was going through a really hard time and mm. just showed me a ton of grace and a ton of compassion and empathy. And it was just, I don't know who those people are, but I, I would sure love to thank them. Mm. Um, I land, a friend picks me up and takes me into this storage unit that he had rented for 30 days. It was cordoned off with yellow police tape. Um, and they let me through and, um, he had taken his Tahoe over there and raised the door, went inside and, put a gun in his mouth and ended his life um, on October 7th of 2010. So it had happened to me a second time. And this time, yeah, completely different circumstances. Right. Um, one, you know, guy was troubled and look, let's not mm -hmm. forget. And this took me a lot of years to learn this. And I think it's important for people to understand. Thank you. While I had a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness mm -hmm. towards, you know, my, my biological father, dad, right. if you will, um, I later realized he was sick. Mm -hmm. He just, he had the same thing that a lot of us have. He just never got help and he never, he stayed in the sickness and mm -hmm. in the addiction and then the disease. Um, and he, he had some demons, man. And, and mm -hmm. he never got the help 
that um, that he needed back then. And so I don't want to forget that. Um, it took me a lot of years to really kind of come to that. Um, do you know, I, I didn't go to the cemetery um, for 42 years. Years? Years. Okay. And that's a story. If you want, I'll tell it to you. It's actually kind of comical. It's a very Texas thing but that before happened. You tell me the story. The answer is absolutely. But here, the question for me, the only question I it, that came to my mind is, what made you go that day? Not what I'm not worried about the 42 years as much as what what was the what was the difference? You know what I'm going today. Um, my sponsor and I had a conversation. He okay. asked me where I was with forgiveness, and mm-hmm. I said. I think I'm okay. I think, you know, I mean, I know it's for me, not always the other person, you know, right. I'm carrying around that burden. Oh. Um, I said, but, you know, I haven't been to the, the cemetery in, in 42 years. And he said, that's something you might want to look at. Mm-hmm. And that was on a Monday and on Tuesday, I did not want to do it. So knowing that I didn't want to do it, I knew it was absolutely something that I should be doing. Okay. So I got in my car and, and I drove down there and, um, Three times I pulled off the highway. It was about 45 minute drive from my house. It was on a Tuesday. It was raining, like drizzling, not even real rain. But that was the first time I'd exited. I was like, well, I can't go down there in the rain. And I thought, oh, oh yeah, can't. yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> so then I got back on the drive on the freeway. And then um, then I was like, well, this is a Tuesday and it's the middle of the day. What do you, you know, you, you should be working. You have other things to do. You can't go down there. So You're I pulled busy, off again. Busy, And uh, so- I literally didn't want to go. And I pulled off three times before mm-hmm. I finally, you know, got into the parking lot um, of the, of the cemetery and mm-hmm. where the, the, the main building was. And I didn't know where the gravesite was. Cause I hadn't been there since I was 12. And so I walked in and, um, there was a woman, very Texas, very pretty, mm-hmm. early to mid sixties, mm-hmm. hair perfect, makeup perfect. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you what very Texas meant. All right, I got you. Yeah, just, just like I got you. Everything's <laughs> done up, right? Just, just, just very, so. very, just, just perfect, you know. Yep. And and she said, um, you know, honey, can I help you? And I said, mm-hmm. yes, ma'am. I said, I need help finding a gravesite. Mm-hmm. And she said, are you a friend of the family's? And I said, no, ma'am, it's my dad. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, well, how long has it been since you've been here? And I said, well, 40, making me do math, but 42 years. And without blinking, she says, time does get away from us, doesn't it? Oh, my God. (laughs) And I started laughing because Uh not only was it the most. It was one of the kindest things that really yeah. you could have possibly said. She was mm-hmm. giving me a lot of grace, um, but it was also very Texas and very funny. And I and, mm-hmm. I, and she got kind of tickled that I was laughing, and she started laughing, <laughs> and you know that kind of broke the ice. And um, yes, time does get away from us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right. <laughs> and um, I was just uh, to this day, it's one of my favorite stories because she was so kind and so funny. Um, yeah, and then you know. Uh, I call him a kid. He's probably 28, 30 came out and led me out to the gravesite. And, you know, that was a pivotal moment for me because, um, as a father, mm-hmm. I had wondered, um, you know, some things. Right. And so I, one of them is, am I doing a good job? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that day I was actually able to bring some closure to some mm-hmm. of the, the the demons i suppose or the things that i'd stuffed down in the basement from yeah. when i was 12 mm-hmm. um and you know i went home understanding and knowing that I, you know i am i am a good dad and i am you mm-hmm. know doing a good job and and i did break the cycles and um all of those things and it's just something for some reason i hadn't been able to give myself and hadn't been able to say out loud right um and so that was a pivotal moment for me and a pivotal day was being able to go down there and and what my only re- and look, I'm going to say this. It's it's not a true regret, but if it, you know, and my meta, my only regret would be, you know, why didn't I do this sooner? Right? Why didn't I understand sure. more about healing mm-hmm. so that I could have gone down there and 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 healed sooner? Mm-hmm. But we 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 do it when we do it, and I'm grateful that you know I've been able to 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 have that that lesson, um, and and you know, hopefully be able to to show up better and more present and however, whatever that means for as a dad and as a human, um, as a friend in life. Um, so after that little anecdote, 
my my dad um had taken his own life so it happened to me twice under completely different circumstances his was he didn't want to be a burden on us he didn't want his health and everything else to continue to be a, a, a burden and so he felt like that was the only way out and that's where this adversity and this resilience because i had learned to be resilient at 12 i yeah. mean yeah I, I mean well what else were you gonna do you know i, I mean right I knew that if I was going to get anything, I was going to have to go out and, and, and get it, you know, and work for it. And, yeah. and I've never been the smartest guy in the room, but I've always said that my superpower is I'll outwork everybody else, you know, and, and hard work was something that had, I had observed in my parents and, and just in the people who were successful, they just worked really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seemed to, to always, you know, be able to overcome any deficits that, that we may have of do hard. So that was kind of my mentality. And so I was just a grinder and, a, and, mm-hmm. a, and, a, and I just, and I always believed and, and credit to my mom for this too, that mm-hmm. I, I didn't go to, you know, I'm not a biologist, I'm not a microbiologist, mm-hmm. or, you know, I, molecular biologist or a scientist, but I understand the science really, really well. And it mm-hmm. never occurred to me that I couldn't do it right. That I couldn't, create a business around longevity and cellular medicine and, 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 and everything else and help people feel better. I'm going to interrupt for one moment. Please. I love when really smart people say, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And then we're going to talk about molecular science. Um, so perhaps, but I would say you'd be top two. Um, <laughs> maybe if I had Einstein here on the panel, maybe that would be so, but the outwork part is really important to me because there's a ton of people that have a lot of really good ideas. And I'm amazed and I'm wondering, the, the only question I would have is this. When you, when a person is pulled down, now your mom was probably number one in the pulled down the most, but you're right there. I mean, in terms of being pulled down, I understand the resilience, but here's what I was going to say. What would you say in terms of day-to-day, whether it was then or even now? Because it doesn't take a lot for a lot of people to write off a day because it's a bad day. So you had a series of bad years, but meanwhile, you're you're leading with, I'm going to outwork everybody in the room. How do you just from a day-to-day level, what are some of the things that you've done then and or transferred to now that keeps you going? So first of all, a lot of good friendships. Okay. I think I think there was divine intervention, the universe, God, whatever, right. you know, someone's higher power or, or mm-hmm. sort of ultimate source of being of value right. is, is um, a lot of really amazing people put in my way, mm-hmm. right? It put in my path. Right. Um, good friends at the exact right time and moment um, when I was struggling or mm-hmm. when I needed that extra boost of of belief and, and faith in something besides me. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've sought knowledge out. And so I went to like these courses like Landmark Forum and. and yeah. Oh, okay. more, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Sure. Yep. Um, and, you know, whether you 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 continue on in those courses or you take mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. knowledge and, and technology you can get out of them and apply that it to your life. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was me too. Right. It was yeah. me too. Yeah. Um, I went a little way and then I, you know, got off at one of the stops and, <laughs> but okay. I took some of the technology that I thought it was really good. And to this day, right. I still remember it and apply it. Yep. Um, so it was a little bit of that, some good friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, <sighs> I've always been a seeker and I always tried to realize that, that, you know, I did a lot of challenging, you know, God, I grew up in the church in the Baptist church and then my dad was, uh, when my mom remarried, he was Episcopal and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of Catholic without the guilt. Yeah. yeah, I'm a reformed (laughs) Catholic. So I get it. Yeah. yeah, Catholic light, you know? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, um, Always preferred. Um, yeah, it was, so it's been a theme in my life, but Mm -hmm. When I got older and I was really, you know, angry. Yeah. I was angry at the world. Mm-hmm. I was angry at God. I was angry at just anybody, you know, yeah. it didn't matter who it was. I just, you know, we, again, I, we, 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 and we never talked about it. You know, we mm-hmm. never, we never talked about these things in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to this day, you know, my mom and I don't, don't really discuss it. Mm-hmm. Either one of them. Um, and so 
but it was, I, I could feel, you know, something was going on. So I had these creative outlets, um, you know, I wrote for a while and, and mm -hmm. pursued that, that mm -hmm. career as a writer and yep. was able to kind of tell stories, um, pretty decently. And then just, you know, along the track, um, it was really when I started a family and had, um, it was the first time to really understand love, um, in a way was, mm -hmm. was seeing a child being born and, and it does something to you that, that you don't have access to before. And, and I always say that I said, you know, amazing how much I felt on, on that day, but, mm -hmm. um, to all the moms in the world, thank you. Um, because that's just still to me, one of the most mind blowing things in the world is to be able to, you know, carry a, a life inside you for nine months and, you know, and then, and bring it into the world biologically. It's just fascinating as well. People talk to me and sometimes in the things, well, how do we know the cell plays such a, you know, incredible role when I'm talking about longevity? And I'm like, well, you know, did you take high school biology? Because, you know, we all started as a single cell, right? Nine months later, fully formed human. Um, and, you know, only the moms in the world are the ones who are able to do that for us. And so I, um, um, I think John, you know, what did I do? I grinded it out. I, mm -hmm. you know, I bounced around quite a bit, you know, mm -hmm. my twenties until yeah. I sort of, until I, I got some footing, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was deep in my addiction, yeah. somehow managed to keep it together, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, maybe it looked that way, but it certainly wasn't that way. Right. Um, and then, you know, then sort of started a family and that's when, that's when some things got grounded for a little while until they don't, until the wheels come back off, yeah. you know, because none of these things had been resolved. Mm -hmm. You know, they were just sort of, you know, the, the demons were quiet. They were chained up in the basement, but they were still there. Um, so, um, but I had this, this, this confidence in my, myself and my ability to do mm -hmm. whatever it is I set out to do, whatever I decided I was going to do. I, there was a, it would, don't take the other side of the bet. Right. And especially if right. you tell me about it, because if you tell me you can't do that, <laughs> you know, you will lose money if you, <laughs> if you bet against me. And I mean, it was just that, that sort of that drive that I think mm -hmm. you get some, I call it grit, you know, mm -hmm. that Angela Duckworth book is one of my favorites. I mean, it's just think this, there's a certain grit that you, that you have to have when, you know, you haven't been blessed with all of the other, you know, advantages are good fortune. And look, and I have been, I mean, I've, I've, I have a lot of, you know, luck and advantages have come my way, but a lot of hard work and just grinding That's it out. Say, uh, yeah. I, a little, maybe, I mean, look, I feel like any sort of success, there's a degree of grace and luck, but always it, it, it's the hustle, the effort and, and, and the resilience. Right. And so, one of the things like, look, you had said, and I was supposed to remind you of, of the tying together, the longevity with the other pieces. And I want you to do exactly that. But I am going to ask you, so you've got, you're a seeker. You, you've done a lot of work um, internally. And you knew this part, or you researched, or you believed this part about physical longevity in an era where it's not being taught in medical schools, where it is not being um, embraced, so to speak, and you're still doing it. Um, and, and or, but no, I don't say that better. Uh, and you're strong enough to push past, okay, no, I'm doing it anyway. Um, what was it when did you realize you were really on to something in regards to wait a minute no i'm not going to listen to this this is this is legit um what was the part what was the eye opener for you that that convinced you or persuaded you to realize i have to get this message across to people yeah that's a great question um I like building things. I like building businesses and I don't, I, you know, mm -hmm. I get a core, I get my, you know, the core values and the core foundation and the mission and the purpose. Mm -hmm. And what are we here for? And what's our, why, what, and how, and mm -hmm. um, I, I love that part of the process. And then, you know, you get your, you get everybody rallied around the mission and the purpose and yeah. then you, you start growing your business and mm -hmm. telling the world your story. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't know if this was going to resonate. Right. I mean, it was yeah. new. Listen, doctors, um, you know, or they, they take care of us, right. They, they, they keep us, they fix us when we're sick and all this, but 
you know, on, on things like chronic disease and, and longevity and age-related disease, you know, we know how important sleep and nutrition is now, but most doctors are so focused on other things in med school that, I mean, they don't learn nutrition. And so I think they take like one class on each of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we know in terms of, I mean, and I'm just talking about just sort of general practitioners, right? Of not course, specialists. I'm not naming names, but I mean, right? No, I not mean, at all. Right. No. Not at all. But I mean, it's the triangle of the food pyramid in my head. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. That. Yeah, it's upside down and it's, yeah, yeah, it's, crazy. Yeah. it's crazy. But so when did I first believe that we were onto something was mm-hmm. when week after week, you know, in, in business, John, you know, this, you keep your head down, you, you, you know, you have your strategy, you have your, mm-hmm. your quarterly goals and objectives. Yeah. These are the three to five things I'm going to, you know, I'm going to whip on this, this quarter. Right. And, and you just kind of keep your head down and go. And then, you, you know, I, for me, they're just 12, 13 week sprints. Right. And, and I just, and, and, the, and four of those will, will add up to what your yearly goal was. And, and, you know, if you can keep stringing those together. And so I was just doing that head down, yeah. grinding, 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 mm-hmm. growing, growing was week after week, more people kept saying yes. And more people kept um, coming to the clinic. Um, you know, we, we mm-hmm. had built it in, in San Jose, Costa Rica. And right. We had a lab and, mm-hmm. People just kept saying yes mm-hmm. um, to this story. And and what we were saying is that, you know, the body has its own regenerative potential. And mm-hmm. as we get older, it just stops working as well. You know, it's just like, it's just higher miles and it's the operating system. Um, and, and in the context of, of what you and I talked about earlier, I said, look, there's, there's some milestones that have happened in 2007, professor Yamanaka discovered mm-hmm. the Yamanaka factors. And which are a set of four genes, four transcription factors right. that reversed an adult skin cell mm-hmm. back to an embryonic like stem cell. Mm-hmm. And that set the entire world, turned us the entire world upside down. Yeah. Because the, And the reason is once a, a cell has differentiated and become whatever it's going to become, a stem mm-hmm. cell um, has differentiated into a skin cell, for example, mm-hmm. we all believe that's all it ever would be. It's all it ever could be. And Dr. Professor, Dr. Yamanaka, um, blew everybody away when identifying these four genes now known as the Yamanaka factors was able to reverse the age of a skin cell all the way back to embryonic stem cell um, lineage. And in its lineage in 2012, which was not that long ago, he won the Nobel prize for it. A little over. Okay. Wow. Okay. He won the Nobel prize. Mm -hmm. And then in 2013, you saw the first epigenetic clock by, by Dr. Horvath, Stephen Horvath. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and in 2016, you saw a cellular epigenetic cellular reprogramming effort at Rutgers. And then in 2022, the WHO recognizes right. aging as a disease. And mm-hmm. um, so those are some milestones that look, he, mm-hmm. you know, Yamanaka won the, the Nobel Prize in 2012. It's 2024. It's only 12 years ago. Yeah. There's been a lot that's happened mm-hmm. in this short amount of time right. with respect to longevity. And that's why you're seeing so much movement in it and so much hope and promise and people talking right. about 130 and 150. And that's not, that's not really my thing. I don't go down there. Cause you know, I don't know. I still am mm-hmm. focused on the functional decline part. Making so, sure that the time you have is a good time. Sounds so shallow. I don't mean, <laughs> no, it is. Listen, I mean, I'll leave just, the science to you, but I'm going to say, but I mean that it's more that it's the sense that it, removing the cognitive decline or, or the, me or the i'm god i'm blanking rather than the inevitability that's the word i wanted uh at x age you must do x or you will no longer be able to do y and you talked about your grandmother the librarian what now like so now everyone's running toward it right I'm sorry. A lot of people are running toward it. Here's the, sorry for all that. Um, Literally, all I was going to get was this. You're in front of it. You've got to, you've been in front of it. And now, and now the wave is kind of working in your favor, so to speak. Mm -hmm. In your mind, what is the message now that you are trying to convey to people rather than simply just a raw amount of education? Or is that, is that what you, what you do? No, so I, I do. I, I love to talk to people about it and educate, and I've spoke all mm-hmm. over the world about it. Yep. Um, so the first thing is this. There is no magic bullet when mm-hmm. it comes to living healthier longer. Right. Period. There are puzzle pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Nutrition is a puzzle piece. Sleep is a puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. Exercise is a puzzle piece. Mindset is a puzzle piece. Stress 
is another and stem cells are another, mm-hmm. right? 75 to 80% of our health, mm-hmm. our epigenetic age, our biological age mm-hmm. is determined by lifestyle factors and external, you know, environmental how you sleep, how you eat, the toxins right. in the air and all these things, 75 right. to 80% of it. Um, and that's the good news mm-hmm. is because we can influence it. We can do something about it in our epigenome, right? Our meaning epi meaning external or above um, that's, that's external to our genome is the genes that are being expressed at any given point in time. And now that we know that we can actually change and make changes, meaningful change to this, mm-hmm. then it gives us a whole lot more control because it wasn't that long ago we thought, whatever your genetic lottery was, that was it. it, is what it you is. Know? That's what you've got. Right. Um, and so that that's changed a lot of things and, and, mm-hmm. and credit to Dr. Sinclair, David Sinclair mm-hmm. at Harvard, who's, you know, done a lot of the work there and has got a great book called lifespan on mm-hmm. it for anybody who's interested. Um, so there's lifestyle and then there's going to always be that, that 20 to 30%, there's going to be a cellular medicine component because I want people just if, if take away. So here's the tips. Yeah. Focus on sleep. Focus okay. on diet, right? Those two things, sleep and nutrition are the, the two biggest things you can do for yourself. And you got to move. Even if you move for 20 minutes a day, take a walk around the neighborhood three days a week, whatever, you know, and, and it's age appropriate, right? Strength <laughs> training, um, lean muscle mass is the number one um, longevity biomarker or indicator rather that we've seen in, in some of these blue zones and some of these uh, um, centenarians and people that have lived a hundred years. Um, is this, this lean muscle mass, this, this percentage of lean muscle mass is always seems to be present. So strength training as we get a little older and and things like that. So they're just some really good day-to-day things that you can do to help yourself. And if you don't do those things, all the stem cells, all the cellular medicine, all the advancements Mm -hmm. in the world and epigenetics or anything else are not going to help you. And they're not going to save you. You have to do some of this work. That's the number one thing I would say, but having said all that, yeah. Having said all that, mm-hmm. think of stem cells like a tank of gas. When we're born, it's on full. One in 10,000 cells in our body is a stem cell. By the time we're in our 60s and 70s, it's about one in a million. Um, well, one in 750,000, one in a million. So it's just this just decline. And we've just right. used up these cells. And if you think mm-hmm. of about in terms of percentages, it's mm-hmm. a really low percentage mm-hmm. once we cross over that 50 to 60 year old threshold. Right. So stem cells are declining. We have fewer of them. Um, they have fewer growth factors, so they're not function. They, they decline in both number and function. Mm-hmm. And then at around age, somewhere between fifty and sixty, senescent cells are on the rise, and these are the bad guys. These are enemy number one to aging, right? Think of it like if I'm trying to live really healthy and I'm working out and I'm eating and I'm sleeping and I'm doing everything great, but my right. best friend is with me twenty four seven, is eating fried foods and smoking and drinking whiskey and just mm-hmm. you know living this terrible lifestyle, and he's trying to influence me to be more like him. That's a senescent cell in our bodies oh, next okay. to these healthy body cells, yeah, right? So yeah. stem cells are going down, senescent mm-hmm. cells are on the on the rise, and and where they intersect about fifty five to sixty. Mm-hmm is when we see age-related disease and all the other things, inflammation, and um, really start to take root because there's a lot of other things that from an operating system standpoint, right? This living organism is got an operating system in it that is, you know, changing with gene expression and changing with lifestyle and, and interventions and changing at a cellular level. What we can do now, practicing good lifestyle behaviors mm-hmm. and intervening with cellular medicine using our own autologous cells to help support our immune system and using mesenchymal stem cells from umbilical cords mm-hmm. to help our, our musculoskeletal systems and, and cognition and even sexual wellness and aesthetics. Yeah. We can mm-hmm. help, we can help slow, mm-hmm. possibly reverse the functional decline of this living organism. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step in terms of getting those, those, the better quality of life and more health in those later years, right? If, yeah. Let's say the average age right now is 78, but mm-hmm. let's say we can push it out to 85, 88. Do we want those last 10 to 12 years to to where we have independence, where we have good quality of health, where our immune right. system is super strong, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're not worried of catching a cold as, you know, if grandma catches it's the flu or a cold, out. it's yeah. going to, yeah, it's going to take you out. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I believe we are right now. And it's mm-hmm. all a combination. There's the mindset, there's the, the lifestyle behaviors, there's the cellular or regenerative medicine component. Um, and you have to put all of those puzzle pieces to work for yourself if you're going to do it. And the, like you said, the wave is coming more people are my, my, uh, my two youngest sons are in college. Um, and I call them on a Friday night and I'm like, what are you doing? And they said, we're meal planning 
There you go. I said, what? Right. You, you're doing what? Right. And, you know, I mean, when I was in college on a Friday night, we were Oh, you weren't planning. meal planning wasn't the biggest priority unless it, we were calling something else meal planning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was crazy, but I mean, I see that a lot and they're really concerned about their health. They go to the gym on Fridays and Saturday nights and they're, you know, and I'm seeing that a lot in younger, in the younger generation. And I think that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. I think that we have to have people with a mindset shift and look, I am a big fan of the saying that every crazy idea was crazy the day before the breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the very, you know, overused, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. But right. I think they really apply to us when we're talking about our, our health. I saw that a lot in the early days in the orthopedic clinics, people would come in and they say, I don't deserve to be out of pain. This has been going on for nine or 10 years. I didn't take care of myself. Oh and God. it really started turning on the light of this narrative that people have for themselves that I didn't take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm overweight. I don't, I smoke or my, I'm a, I deserve you know, this. I deserve this. Ooh, right. um, and it's crazy how many that mindset. And that's the first thing you have to overcome if you're going to help anybody get better, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, whoa, first of all, you don't deserve this. Second of all, we, we can, we can fix this, but it's going to take some work. Um, and you're going to have to put in some work. And that's, that's the state of, of affairs. And Mm -hmm. it's an exciting time in healthcare and in medicine. I think the advancements that we're going to see, um, you know, Peter Diamantes is a friend of mine and I'm at, I was at a 360 this year and the guys Mm -hmm. he brought out in, uh, in AI and some of the advancements that are Mm -hmm. happening in science are they're, they're mind blowing. They're, they're insane. And I, you know, AI artificial intelligence hasn't learned the language of biology yet when it does. And it is, um, it's going to be it's going to be really really um, exciting to see mm-hmm. what advancements. You know, people talking about simulating actual research so that it doesn't take as long. Exactly. Um, um, so there's a lot of things coming in the next decade that I think are going to change the way that we can all experience and uh, aging and age more gracefully. Mm-hmm. Altos Labs is another one. They've been they have three billion dollars, um, and they're looking at cellular reprogramming is their big thing. They hired, mm-hmm. I think. Don't quote me, but I'm 97 and a half percent certain this is correct. Um, they've got Dr. Horvath on staff and Dr. Yamanaka is either a consultant and or on staff. Mm-hmm. So they've got the brightest minds in the world with a big war chest of money working all this. And we okay. will all benefit. Mm-hmm. This is this is something that they're trying to solve a problem at scale, mm-hmm. you know, whereas what we can do in a clinic or in a lab in, in Costa Rica or, or, or mm-hmm. like any places other in the world. Yeah. We can help as many people as we can help, right? But and when you get this this groundswell of people um, that are talking and thinking mm-hmm. like it's possible, that's what's good for the industry, right? Is is you know nobody's trying to set false expectations or overpromise and underdeliver or any of that. We're just all saying, hey, with the advancements in the last ten to twelve years, with the tools that we have for diagnostics, with the knowledge that we have of how this this machine works and what we can do to help ourselves along the way. And then some things like we were able to build around cellular medicine. It's a pretty good time to be alive, um, to, to age gracefully. It really is. Two more questions. First off, number one, do you foresee with your, with an imaginary crystal ball, more of this coming inland? So often this was going outside of the States. What do you a prediction, not even an opinion. I, I, you can't make an opinion here. But what do you see about the ability of it coming to the United States properly? I get asked that quite a bit. I think you know, and there's a um, look the the financial model here. It's very expensive to create drugs and or right. um, you know, in in biotechs and in in, mm-hmm. in the states, mm-hmm. and so. The financial model is always an FDA pathway to a drug. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and that's where the the reward comes back for the incredible amount of risk um, and mm-hmm. investment that it mm-hmm. takes to get to that process. So, um, I don't. I think we're, you know, probably a decade away from from anything being um, coming back on shore. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's been quite a bit of safety and efficacy around cellular medicine. You see it you know, um, allowed in, in a lot of, um, developed countries around the world. Right. There's just a different model, um, in Western medicine and particularly in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I'm not optimistic. When you do, you'll see it come in for a specific indication, like typically like things like, so for example, sarcopenia, okay, which is frailty, um, mm-hmm. 
by any other name um, in, in healthcare, it has an ICD-10 code, which just means that the insurance companies can, doesn't mean they will, but they can reimburse for it because it has an ICD-10 code. And so if you're developing some sort of novel therapy or therapeutic for scar uh, sarcopenia, mm -hmm. and you can show some efficacy, safety and efficacy, then you can start to to say, hey, listen, more people can have access to this because insurance will reimburse for it and will pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you start to see the doors crack a little bit. Right, people exactly. Come in, and it's tough. It's not. I'm not an expert in that in that world. I've never mm -hmm. taken a drug to market or gone through the FDA pathways. Um, but everything that we were doing in in Costa Rica, and I think that I've seen in other places as right. well, is they're replicating, you know, the labs or CGMP mm -hmm. or they're, you know, they're, they're just they're Everything is done as though you would be doing it in the mm -hmm. U S it's just the regulatory environment is a little less. Um, it, it's still strict. Nobody, none of these developed countries that are you know, known for medical tourism want mm -hmm. bad scorecards and bad Yelp reviews. Right. I mean, yeah. so they, they manage and maintain these things <laughs> right. really well. Um, but they're not beholden to some of the, the, to the same profit model in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that 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 the U.S. you know infrastructure in Western medicine is, um, so I think that that's why we're seeing it developed offshore. Which listen, it can work together because you can start to do phase one, phase two, clinical studies and trials, FDA trials mm -hmm. offshore. Yeah, in Costa Rica, in Mexico, and mm -hmm. in, in in the you know Middle East or wherever. Mm -hmm. And bring that, and it'll be recognized and bring that knowledge back to sort of fast track. It. it could be done cheaper and faster than it could be in the States. And so I think that there's a blend and a possible, a hybrid mm -hmm. that could help there, but breakthroughs in things like oncology, um, when you start to see some stuff that could help in cancer, um, would probably get it onshore faster. Um, but I think when we start talking about, I mean, while the WHO recognize aging a disease, the U S healthcare system is not. Um, they're, they're not in alignment on that. So if you don't think aging is a disease that can be mitigated or treated or mm -hmm. possibly even cured, um, then, you know, you're, you're not going to be as open-minded for some of these, these, um, pathways mm -hmm. to it becoming more mainstream in the United States. And I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible. Uh, plenty. And so here's hoping, by the way, uh, literally from, a, from a, personal perspective and for the masses as well too um before i ask the last question i gotta acknowledge you greg schindler this is beautiful like i said you you covered so much and so powerful and so personal in the way that you convey the information it almost makes my last question <laughs> meaningless but i'll acknowledge you because i think you're wonderful uh the easy i'm sorry two questions one would you come back Hundred percent. Beautiful. Say when. I think there's that. That's beautiful because I really believe in my heart. This is something because everything's moving so quickly. Because you're an educator, because you love to convey this message, and because so much is happening that I think it needs to be updated um, on a much grander yeah. and work faster scale. So I thank you for showing up for me, man. Um, I think you're absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I'm really I... glad I get to know you. Part of the mission, you know, is to just tell people what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. And and just educate. That's all we're doing mm -hmm. is saying, hey, here's some of the new things that are coming. Um, here's how they work. Mm -hmm. And then you can, you know, people can start to explore them on their own. I always say, it's like, look, I can introduce you to jazz, but if you're going to fall in love with it, you're going to go, you're going to have to go have a romantic relationship with okay. it. And it's kind of the same thing with, yeah. with longevity or with cellular mm -hmm. medicine yep. or anything else. I'll open the doors to some conversations and and educate you on what's out there and what's possible today. But if, if you're going to chase, you're going to go down some rabbit holes. If you become, you know, if you, if you really get interested in it. Well, I thank you. For so I'd love to be back. Great. That makes me happy. I thank you for the bottom of my heart for showing up for me. Last question, which go. is, I typically ask people like what make, like what does authenticity mean to you or what makes you authentic? I believe you've answered those, but what I'm going to ask you is when you're, when you see some, what draws you to somebody who's authentic? Okay. So authenticity to me is, mm -hmm. I think, again, it's kind of that suitcase word, right? Because when somebody's living authentically, the first thing I think for yeah. myself is for the path I've been down is you have to develop a deep understanding of yourself, mm -hmm. right? 
to, to what are your passions? What are your beliefs? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are your values? You know, what do you, you know, well, how do you work? Um, and, and once you do that, then you start to have, you can start to be informed on, you know, there's a resilience that comes along with sort of knowing who you are and drawing boundaries yep. and, and maybe it doesn't necessarily always conform to the societal norms mm -hmm. um, and living in your truth. And then when you have living in your truth, you start to find your voice. And then you, you so to me, living authentically, and there's some honesty in there, right? Honestly, mm -hmm. about the good things and the bad things. And yeah. um, so for me, living authentically and, and, and being drawn to people who are living... Today, I will tell you this, kindness, humility, gratitude are characteristics that I find in people mm -hmm. who by default seem to be living authentically because when you, when you, when you can show up in the world with kindness and with humility and with gratitude, it's really hard to live selfishly. It's really hard to live out of alignment with your purpose and with who you, you say you are and, and who you are. Um, that's today where I'm at with, with living authentically is it's when you're living with those three things are sort of out in front of you and you see it and you walk the walk and the actions are in alignment with the words and the belief systems. That's where I'm seeing authenticity today. Kindness, humility, gratitude, beautifully stated folks. If you've got that going for you, you got a lot. You've just heard another episode of Your Message Received. Keep coming back, liking, watching, sharing, tell your folks, and we'll keep continuing to drive content through your front door. Greg Schindler, thanks again for showing up for me, man. It's been an honor, John. Thank you so much. Right back at you, folks. You've just heard us. John Duffin here, Duffin Media. Have a great rest of the day, and we will be back soon. And now, making its way across the finish line, your message received has been a production of Duffin Media.